What's up, Internet? You're tuned in episode 49 of the Flip Screen Games Podcast, a weekly video game podcast where two best buds from different nations come together to discuss the wide, wide world of video games. I'm your host, Pete and Bessie, joined as always by my very good friend and co-host, Mr. Stephen Radford. Hello, hello. Hello, Steve. We got... It's a big week, all right? I'm, I can barely contain my excitement, all right? Because... We talked about it just last week, right? We had a question from the question block. Will E3 ever return, right? We had a whole conversation about it. And true to form, news came out almost immediately after we published a podcast about it. Because apparently, E3 is back. And it's going to be back in person next year, second week of June, LA Convention Center, produced by Reed Pop. You don't say. Read Pop, eh? It's almost like I said that last week that Read Pop should take over E3. It's almost exactly uh, like you said that last week, Steve. (laughs) And here we are a week out. And boy, uh, you know, I got to say, I'm impressed. I'm impressed by it. And it wasn't even like you were like, oh, this is a prediction. You're like, this is what's going to happen. You're like, this is what should happen. And I appreciate that the universe straightened up and took notice, you know, okay? So I just like that the ESA were listening last week and were like, yeah, that's a really good idea. Let's get Repop on the blower. You know, Let's get we, him on the phone and we'll talk to them and we'll get it organized. Steve, it's like every other week we find out that uh, an uh, A-list celebrity is a fan of the show, right? First, we had Mary Berry as a Patreon producer. We know that Jeff Keighley's listening to the show. Now we got the ESA in our pocket. You can't stop us. You can't slow us down over here at Flip Screen right. Games Podcast. You know, you just can't do it. <laughs> can't put us in a box. It can't be done. But, uh, you know, that's not the only thing we're talking about. We got a jam-packed week here. So uh, without further ado, let me remind you that this week's episode of the Flip Screen Games Podcast is brought to you by our Patreon producers for the month of July. They are, of course, Christian Oliveria, Christopher Valenz, Gabriel Hasselmeyer, a.k.a. Asobi, Mary Berry, Smilky Shake, Wakahula, and Zaid Ida. Thank you all so much for your support over on Patreon.com slash FlipScreenGames. You are the realest of the real, and we appreciate your support of this fine program. really helps us... Uh, Keep things moving over here. So thank you to all of you Patreon producers. Uh, if you want to become a Patreon producer, head over to patreon.com slash flipscreengames. You can get your red, uh, your name read on the air. You can get early access to this and our sister show, Nintendo Noise. And you can get access to our Patreon-exclusive podcast, One More Thing, where Steve and I keep the mics rolling and we talk about what's going on in our lives. Sometimes we talk about video game topics that didn't make it to the main show. It's a good time. We have a good time over there. Uh, Especially lately, it's been the only place to hear us talk about what we're playing because we have not had time to talk about it on this show. That's for sure. So, uh, before we get into all... Oh, I'm sorry. And flipscreen.games. That's our website. If you want to get links to our Discord, uh, if you want to write into the show like a bunch of folks did uh, the last couple of weeks, we've been having a lot of great question block episodes, um, as well as for our new se- uh, segment, the Icebreaker slash Appetizer slash we're still coming up with a name for it. So, write in with a name for the segment. Um, so, yeah, write in, be a part of the show, join the community, however you choose to get involved. We're really happy to have you. Uh, so, without further ado... Let's jump into the ice appetizer. That's what I'm calling it for now. The icebreaker appetizer. The ice appetizer. Okay. Um, and if you don't come up with something better, that's what it's going to stick. That's that's how things oh, go gross. here. So that's my threat now to you. It became no, a challenge. It, now it, it's it a threat. It can stay as icebreaker because ice appetizer sounds absolutely awful. That's why I'm going to use it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Now's your time, Steve. You got a week. Figure something out. <laughs> I named the question block, all right? Like, I came up with enough names. I'm tired. 
<laughs> so this icebreaker, icebetizer, excuse me, uh, comes from at Keita Eris on Twitter, who uh, had a, a tweet that went like semi-viral this week. Uh, and it was it's it's one of those like here's four screenshots of video games or publishers or whatever three get to stay and you gotta you gotta jettison one right so the tweet was three stay the other one disappears forever along with all of their games what do you choose the four uh, studios are Atlas Monolith Soft From Software and Square Enix and I think this is interesting because. I think in the spirit of the conversation, right, and, like, wanting to make it more interesting, um, Wakahula made the point that uh, Monolith Soft have been a support studio on a number of Nintendo games. So in the spirit of the question, those games would be included in this list. So even if you're not, like, normally a Monolith Soft person, right, if you don't mess with Xenoblade or, or any of those games... Um, obviously they have a history beyond that Xenosaga and all that stuff. Uh, but even if you're not a Xenoblade person, right, they have worked on Super Smash Brothers Brawl, Skyward Sword, Animal Crossing New Leaf, Pikmin 3, Link Between Worlds, Splatoon, Animal Crossing Happy Home Designer, Breath of the Wild, Splatoon 2, and Animal Crossing New Horizons. So all of those games would be included mm, so in this they, list. So they stay because no one wants to lose Animal Crossing. Or, or Breath uh, of the Wild? I mean, like, wild, I really, yeah. I, you know, like... All hyperbole aside, I think if there's a game that you can put up for this is actually what a 10 out of 10 perfect game looks like, Breath of the Wild is one of the best candidates in that conversation. You can't just wipe that one away. Mm -hmm. That's one of the best games ever made, you know? So we're saying that a support game, a support studio includes that in it, so these games go. I think think you have to. Otherwise, I feel like this is, it's too easy to be like them, right? Oh, okay. Xenoblade. Even if you like Xenoblade, it's like, all right, well, less influential than these other. I feel like in this, in the spirit of the question, to make it a good question, I think you gotta include the broader Nintendo catalog. Okay, and and obviously the influence it doesn't take the games that it influenced. No, it does. It It does because it it says no way it can. It says the other one disappears forever along with all their games. I'm thinking this is like a monkey. Yeah, it disappears along with all of their games. But say, for example, from software like the Souls like genre, you can't just be like, oh, every Souls like game is gone. No, you have to. I think you have to. Otherwise, even not from software. No, because like I'm interpreting it as. The, they existed. Everyone played these games. It was great. Everyone got in, all the other developers got influence from it and made their own take on it, and then they disappeared. No, I, and I all think of the, their library of games. Went. I I think it's too easy if you do that because then you can just be like, well, you know, like so, you know, like oh, Square is past their prime, so it doesn't matter, or like From Software created Elden Ring and that's their magnum opus. They already created the genre. Who cares, right? Like, I think you have to say that the like historically they're gone too like the games just don't exist i think yeah, that- yeah, the games are gone but like what i'm saying is that you can't be like oh from software inspired a whole genre and so moving forward like every game that they inspired every single one doesn't exist or it exists in a different from form. another developer yeah, it might exist in a different form. You can't be like, "Oh, Jedi Fallen Order no longer exists because from software." It wouldn't never be a Souls. Souls game, it wouldn't so be they, a Souls like that. Because that game doesn't exist. So I, the don't, I don't think exist. so. Because like, otherwise, 
Because uh, otherwise you could be like, oh, no turn-based RPGs ever going to exist if we get rid of Square and Atlas. Like, is Square... With know, Square, I think that's... invented the JRPG. I think that's a legitimate concern. I think that's a legitimate thing you have to bring up in the conversation is, like, if you, if they're gone and like their games someone are else gone... Someone else would have invented it. Maybe, but we don't know. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's one of those things. I don't think you can go that far. I don't think you can go that far to remove the influence because I feel like if those games, because it's like one disappears forever along with their games. Like it's like they did exist and then they went, and all of their games were like delisted and like all of the physical copies. I mean, ceased to, if ceased that's to how function. you want to think about it, I think that's fine. But I think it makes it a less interesting question because, like, I think like the point you made about like would someone else have invented it? Probably, but would it have hit the same? And that's a, an important question, right? Because it's like it's like the it's like the rock and roll thing, right? Where it's like, did Elvis invent rock and roll? No, but right, he was a breakthrough artist that was digestible for white people right and he helped uh like like make rock and roll music mainstream right so it's like yeah like if square and final fantasy don't exist does somebody else invent the turn-based rpg does the jrpg uh exist in some capacity maybe arguably probably and in this scenario atlas still exists so like eventually it gets made right but it's like how different is it? How different are all JRPGs in that universe without the influence of Final Fantasy? That's a big question. It's a really big question. And it's one that, like, personally, as a JRPG person, right, like, not one I'm interested in understanding the ramifications of. I feel like it's got to be the butterfly effect thing. Otherwise, it's like, ah, you just pick the one you like the least, right? It's like, all right, whatever. Who cares? Let me ask you it this way. Just for the sake of argument, and then you can answer the question however you want, because I already have an answer. If we were thinking about it that way, right? The games are gone, influence is gone. I think Atlas is the easiest answer to the question in terms of the least number of other games not really and genres. Yeah, I don't think it affects other games. I, as I much. don't think they they don't do a lot different in terms of the genre. They just kind of combine multiple genres together and just like uh, execute and i feel like stuff games. like fire emblem yeah fire emblem is doing that at the same time anyway like sure you can maybe argue that that pe someone would have come to that same conclusion like adding the social sim element into a jrpg if it wasn't atlas sure yeah yeah i i mean i don't I, and i've not played any of their other other games like catherine or anything like i that. mean i've, I've literally only played, only played persona 5 right yeah but that said i still wouldn't pick atlas because persona 5 is one of my favorite games and i love what atlas does so far right so like i i would go with from software and i know that that's a controversial pick because i just don't really vibe with their games and i know that their influence extends beyond that. I think that generally yeah, speaking... Yeah, like Ghost of Tsushima, I think you could argue, is influenced by like Sekiro. Sure. So that's gone. I wouldn't Goodbye. say it was gone. I think it would just be well, more... Yes, it's it's going to be a more inferior game. Though. It would be more like like every other open world. Generic open world. Yeah. yeah boring. Yeah. I, I'm sure I'd still like game, it, yeah. but I don't think I would fuck <laughs> with it as hard as I do. Right? Like, I love that. I love that game. Um... It'd probably be like an 8 out of 10 instead of a 9 out of 10, right? It's like, all right, well, I can live with that. Like, <laughs> I feel like this is the one that affects my taste the least. And as much as I think it would be a loss for gaming as a whole, I would far more miss the games and influence of the other three versus From Software, personally.
Yeah, I think you're probably right, but I had a, so I had such a good time with the Elden Ring that I don't think I would want to get rid of it because of that. And yeah. they're also the the studio that does something unique versus the other three, which are just you know I, I feel like they're like Atlas and Square make the same type of games. Really, they're both turn based JRPGs. Monolith, I guess, is like more action RPG, but there's still other studios that do what those three do. So I don't think I would want to get rid of From because they are so unique in what they they construct and put sure. together. Um, I think I, personally, my gut instinct was see you later Square because I don't really care about their games. I don't play any of them, and I couldn't give two shits about Final Fantasy. You also don't Kingdom really Hearts like turn-based RPGs like that. that much. So it's no, like... I'm not a massive fan of turn-based RPGs, so I wouldn't. Be, it's not a real loss for me. Also, they sold off their Western studios, so they're not Square games anymore. They're uh, what is it now? Embracer Group games. So, so those games are safe. Yeah, they're safe. Idos. That would have been a thing safe. for you, right? If it would have been like no Tomb Raider, been, and if Tomb Raider's, if Tomb Raider's gone. gone, and and like Hitman would have been gone. Like those older Hitman games, they're gone. So you probably would have never had the sequels to those. But games. I, I, I guess we're also talking about Square as a developer, not as a publisher, right? Like yeah. So and like Square's developed games, I just I don't think I've played one that I enjoyed. Have you even really tried many though? Like I feel like they're it's just, they're just not something that really even generally appeals to you. No, because I see the trailer and I'm like, this just looks like trash. <laughs> but I thought that about I thought that about Elden Ring, right? I thought Elden yeah. Ring looked like trash, and the story is hot nonsense, and I don't give like two shits about you should, all the fingers. You should maybe try Final Fantasy VII remake. I think it's pretty approachable, and like the cast is good, the voice acting's good, the art's good, the combat's fun, like. I don't know if Maybe. if you were if you were at all interested in giving it the old college try. I think that would be a good one for you to start with personally. Possibly, I, mean, I don't know because I'm not like a massive so, fan of Final Fantasy, right? Like, I've there's a lot of them that I've played and liked, but I'm certainly not, you know, the number one Final Fantasy fan by any stretch of the imagination. Mm-hmm. And I love yeah. that game, you know, as does, somebody who never played the lo- original. Do you, do you lose Life is Strange, then? Is that gone as a Square title? I guess it depends where we're drawing the line. Are we talking about Square developed games or Square published games? Because if we're talking about everything that Square encompasses, then Life is Strange would be part of that, and that would be another thing that's like not like that's not negotiable. I would never pick Square anyway, though, because Square is like, you know, a lot of their games are formative for me. Yeah, I just feel like they make the same game over and over again. And How would you even know? Even if it's got a even if it's got a different title on, they all look the same. How would you know? It's always you someone with a giant fuck. It's someone with a giant sword and like the smoothest skin you've ever seen, and some nonsense English voice actors talking about something that makes See? no sense. That's whatsoever. why you should play Final Fantasy. They don't have British accents. No posh British Do they British accents in that one. They're all American. Okay, maybe I'll play that then. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe, yeah, maybe I'll give that a go. You get you become wow. a fan just in time to play sixteen, which is full of the posh British British accents. Yeah, I'm I'm going through the list of their games at the moment, and nothing nothing stands out. It's just something I was just like, oh yeah, I played that one, and that was really good. I've not okay. played any of these games. All right. Um, <laughs> and maybe maybe that's a real gap in my uh, gaming history that I, I need so. to go and fix because I think stuff like. 
Final Fantasy VI and Chrono Trigger and stuff I've like that. I've never played Chrono Trigger. I've tr- started Mario- it three times and never, never got into it. Mario Hoops three on three. That goes. They worked on yeah. that. <laughs> they made that. They developed that game. That's awesome. See, they got yeah. chops over there. Yeah, yeah. Is that your pick, though? Some games. I think Square's the one that goes because I feel like Atlas still exists. They've made a JRPG. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. I actually don't think Square was the first people to make a JRPG. Um, no, I, would imagine I think they just it's... popularized it. It's, and, it's, and it's, a, it's the a, Elvis example. It's also, it, you know, I also don't know if it's clear if if things before Square Enix exist, like does Square and Enix still exist? Because no. Square Enix put their first title out in 2003, but Square and Enix existed prior to that. No, I think you gotta, it's all their games. It's all their games. That's a, that's 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 a nice loophole though, isn't it? You know, we could keep Square around and just, you know, Square Enix is gone. Who needs Enix? <laughs> <laughs> Good question. I don't know. Hmm. Well, we'll have to find out. We'll have to. I. I, I want to find out who invented the RPG now or the JRPG, because I'm. Sh- I'm. I'm sure it wasn't Final Fantasy, but I think they were the ones that put it on the map. But all right. Yeah, Final Fantasy was the first JRPG that popularized it on the NES. There you go. And you're um, out here. You're out here saying that doesn't matter. Unbelievable. But. There were like other titles, uh, Dragon Quest and Dragon Warrior were out first before Final Fantasy. But they are also Square Enix games. They are. Um, <laughs> That's true. Prior to that, there was this game called The Black Onyx, um, which popularized the turn-based RPG in Japan. So you heard it here, folks. Steve doesn't care about JRPGs. No, respect. no not really. No respect for the weebs. Unbelievable. Anyway, uh, thank you, Kita Aris, for this thought-provoking question. It was a fun one. Let's jump into the question block. This first one comes from Andy Rads, who wrote in and said, What was the first game you bought? Not played, because you might have played a game on a friend's console, etc. First game I bought was Space Invaders for my Atari. Your dad is like the coolest guy. <laughs> I really want to be I really want to <laughs> hang out with your dad, Steve. You know, I think <laughs> prior to that. Him and his brother had a Pong, which obviously just played Pong. Right. He didn't play other games. It was just. Have like you ever played an authentic Pong original Pong? Maybe. I haven't. No, I haven't ever played an original Pong. I gotta say, like, it's a fun game. You can get a lot of mileage out of Pong. If you're in a room full of people playing that shit, it's fun, you know? And I can imagine, you know, it was a, it was a marvel back in the 70s. Like, holy shit, I can play, like, arcade games in my house. This is amazing. Yeah. Uh, but I, my first video game that I bought, as as Dad later corroborated for me, was um, Game & Watch Gallery for the Game Boy Color. And I remember walking around town. It was with my birthday money, I think. Uh, it was either with Mum or Dad. I can't remember who it was. But we ended up walking around town. We went to, like, three or four different stores. We went to Electronics Boutique. Do you remember them? EB Games, and, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we went to we went to Electronics Boutique and we had a look in there. They didn't have it. We went to Game, we went to Game Station. Um, we had a look around. It was in the last place we looked, obviously. And I remember buying that. I don't know why I wanted that game. Um, I think it was probably my dad suggested it as a good game because he used to read like the gaming magazines. So you didn't have like gaming magazines or anything as a kid? I I did, but I was really young when I was walking around and buying this game, and like. 
I don't think I would have been one that I would have seen in a magazine and picked. Yeah. At like seven, eight, when I was like seven or eight. Wouldn't have been one that I was just like, oh, yeah, that's a game I really want. I but gotcha. my dad recommended it and uh, it was really good. One of, became one of my favorite games. Man, I really struggled with this question because I'm pretty sure that the answer I came up with is not right. Because I, so like you, right? Like I, I remember being a kid and when I was a really little kid, we bought like all my video games at Toys R Us. That was like the place to buy games for when I was a youth for most of my life. And I remember doing what you're describing where I had like birthday money or Christmas money or whatever that I had been given and I was allowed to spend it however I wanted to spend it. And that was like them teaching me how to budget money or whatever. Right. And shit like that. And I remember going and picking out games, but I don't remember the first time I did that really, you know, and and I'm sure that the answer is older than the one that I remember because I imagine I did that with PlayStation 1 games because they're, you know, I, I had a lot of PlayStation 1 games. I, they were not all things that my parents picked for me. So, like, you know, I, I imagine that, you know, like, maybe, like, a Pokemon Stadium on N64 or, like, Ape Escape or, like, Final Fantasy IX. I remember picking out, like, a friend had, had Final Fantasy X and I wanted it and they didn't have Final Fantasy X, so I got nine. Like, I have these flashes of older games that I remember going and picking out and being like, yes, like, I'm going to try this. Let's take it home. But, like, the earliest memory I could come up with where I was, like, Okay, parent, I want you to take me to this store to specifically buy a video game right now with my own money. The earliest memory I have of that that I could place was uh, Blockbuster in my town uh, growing up was doing – they were trying to downsize their game collection, and they were doing a buy to get one free. So there was like a bunch of like PlayStation, GameCube, Xbox era games that were on sale for like – you know, maybe $10, $15 cheaper than they should have been. And I knew I was going to get like three video games for the price of what it would have cost me to get one. Mm -hmm. And I remember I got uh, a bunch of games that I had like played at other people's houses and liked but didn't own myself. And I don't remember what the third game was, but I know that two of them were NBA Street Volume 2, which is a game I've talked about a lot. Uh, I love that game. Uh, and then I believe it was SmackDown versus Raw. Here comes the pain. I think was oh, the yeah, game. Oh yeah, I love those games. Let me see. I want to see if I can. It was you the one that Brock Lesnar on the cover. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes. It was Here Comes the Pain. It was the blue box with Brock Lesnar on the cover. I told yes, and yeah, I played the shit out of this game. And I remember you could get make a custom wrestler, and one of the hairstyles they had was the Super Saiyan hair from Dragon Ball Z. So my guy, I named him Trunks, and I gave him Super Saiyan hair, and he was dressed like one of the Hardy Boys. It was awesome. <laughs> it was so good. Uh, and I feel like... I, do, I cannot remember what the third game was, unfortunately. But... I, I'm trying to think of other games I got from that blockbuster. I know one of them was Sonic Adventure 2 Battle, and I couldn't find that in regular stores, and I rented it, and then I was like, parents, can we just tell Blockbuster that we lost the game? I would really like to buy this game, <laughs> Like, and I can't find it anywhere else. And they're like, yeah, whatever, fine. How much do they charge you when, when They just happens? charged you the cost of the game. So it was like oh. not 
a bad deal at all. Yeah. <laughs> You're playing the cost of the game plus whatever the rental cost was. Mm-hmm. So it's like, yeah, fuck it, right? I got Animal Crossing at that Blockbuster. But my Blockbuster back then didn't give you the actual case. You got some shitty fucking plat, like yeah, the rental plastic yeah. rental case, and they never gave you the proper instruction manual. It would just be what someone typed out yep. on like a typewriter or whatever, and then sl- slot into the case. So you, it was always a challenge to figure out how the hell to play it. Because now video games always have like a tutorial level, or there's a screen you can go to where it shows you what the controls are. Back in like the PS1, PS2 era, that was not always the case. And sometimes you went into a game and you needed the instruction manual to refer back to. So thankfully we had the internet and like we could just dial up and find what we needed to online at times. But sometimes it was a real, it was a real challenge. I feel like though you must have bought a game prior to this because that's quite late. Definitely. Because I I looked up when um, Game & Watch Gallery 2 came out for the Game Boy Color, and that was 98. So I would have been, I would have just turned six. It would have been my sixth birthday when we went to go get that. And that's pretty young, I think. And that's the thing, right? It's like, I mean, I got my Game Boy Color as a gift for graduate graduating, quote-unquote, preschool. So I was four, right, when I got a Game Boy? Like, I definitely went out and picked out games before that, but like... There's such a like, that's such a weird time for memory because it's like I remember games I owned, but like, did I get it for Christmas? Did I pick it out? It was actually your money. Like, did you go to a store and hand over the money yourself? Right, which is what you're. That was the question, right? Is a game that you bought with your own money, and I don't really remember having my own money prior to being that like PS2 GameCube era age. But I know I did for a time because I know when I got the N64, I remember doing this blockbuster two for one thing and buying games and stuff like that. But I don't remember what the games were. So it's like, I don't know what in my library came from parents or aunts and uncles or whoever. Right. Like and like that was the thing, too, is that, you know, when I was a little kid, I was the only kid on both sides of my family for many years. Right. Like my dad's side of the family. I'm still the baby. I'm the youngest person in that part side of the family by a lot. And my cousin, who's like in her, you know, like 40s now, she has two kids, but she didn't have her first kid until I was like 10. So like I had years where it was like anytime I was with anybody in my family, if they took me out to run errands or whatever, they'd be like, oh, you want me to buy a video game? Like we, you like video games. Let's get the kid a video game. And I'd be like, great, awesome. So it's like, I have no, you know, I have no fucking idea where, like, and I own, like, every, I almost every game I've ever bought I have in these drawers, but I don't know, I don't know exactly the origin of all of them, but I know that those Blockbuster games, I knew I wanted them, I knew they were at Blockbuster waiting for me, and I knew about this sale, and I was like, we gotta go today, I need this, so, like, that's just where my brain went to where I'm like, I a hundred percent remember this being my, totally my initiative, you know? So I'll go with that one. Now, if we do it on money that you earn, the first thing that you, the first video game you bought, I can also remember that. And it was, um, it was medieval for the PSP. Fuck yeah. Cause I remember I worked so fucking hard. I, I saved up, I did a paper round and I, I started off just doing Sundays, and it was like these really like fucking heavy Sunday broadsheets, and like I had like a little trailer that I carried around. And I was like eleven, like move, carrying my little trailer around, and then um, and then I moved on to do like a one every day after school, 
and I saved up all my money and I remember buying the PSP and I got Medieval. Actually, my dad might have bought the game, but I bought the PSP and I remember saving up all my money together and I was really excited. Yeah. I made dad like drive me over to Argos and like we, I was like waiting outside the door for it to open so I could go in and get the PSP. Then we went next door to Woolworths and bought like the, the game that I wanted uh, and went home and I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. This is so much better than like the, the Game Boy or whatever. Yeah, that's an interesting one, too, because like trying to think of like the first stuff I bought with money that I earned and it's still like a little hazy because like I feel like I feel like the first example of this is probably not this, but I remember doing what you just described with the Wii uh, where I saved up for like, a, I don't know, like a whole summer or whatever. And I remember calling every single electronic store in the town that I lived in that sold video games every day for months and was like, you guys got a Wii? You guys got a Wii today? Any Wiis? And like finally I remember one day I call like Target, I think it was, and they're like, yeah, actually we got one left. And I was like, my guy, can you put this aside for me? And he's like, I really can't do that. And I was like, dude please like i've been calling everywhere like everywhere for months please i'm just a child i want this Wii so bad and i remember you should have cried i i was i was just like please like please man like do me a solid here or was it was it more like please please yeah because i'm like i don't know i'm 12 or whatever right like probably and i remember uh he's like all right look man if you could get here in the next 20 minutes like I will keep it behind the counter for you. And I was like, thank you. Thank you so much. And I like ran downstairs. And was like, ma, ma, we got to go right now. Right now. They got a Wii waiting for me. And I got there. I got it. It all worked out. That was great. I had a similar experience with the Xbox 360. And that, I think, was more Christmas birthday money than money I earned. But oh, I know I saved been, money. It came out. Because that came out so close to Christmas. I remember Dad buying one of those, and they were sold out everywhere. Me and Dad drove down from Bristol to, I think it was Portsmouth. It was like a two, three-hour drive. We got there at like nine o'clock at night. It was like dark outside. Dad goes over to this house. This guy opens his garage. He's got like six Xbox 360s in his garage. And we're like, we, we... we bought one off him and then we drove all the way home. I must have been so tired by the time we got home, but it was a fun, it was a fun, like drive. You yeah, remember bought, it, like, a, right? Bought a 360 from a scalper that year. Um, and the guy was just like, yeah, I pre-ordered loads of them because I didn't think I was going to get one. And now looking back at it in hindsight, he was a fucking scalper, but Douchebag. Um, whatever. Yeah. Your dad's cool. I'm glad that he did that. That's, <laughs> that's a cool story. Um, dude, I'll never forget. I like, so I'll put a pin on the Xbox story and then I'll tell one more and we'll move on. Uh, the Xbox thing, I remember I got an Elite. It was like such a, it was like the coolest purchase I feel like I had ever made at that time where I was like, Xbox 360 had been out for a while. Like my, my buddy Ozzy had one and I remember I used to, like I was at his house like every weekend. We were always hanging out over at his house and he had 360 and we would just like sit and like watch him play Bioshock because we're like, holy shit, I can't believe video games look like this. Like this yeah. is insane. And we'd play, like, Halo and stuff like that all the time. And I remember I'm like, okay, like, I'm ready to upgrade. I'm going to get the Elite. Like, I'm going to go all in. I'm getting this Xbox. And I got the Elite, uh, with, you know, the all black with, like, the more hardware. And it had the black controller. It was, like, very cool. I was the only one who had one. I was like, oh, and this is And the sick. HDMI port, the first Xbox. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, HDMI yo, port. this is 
this is and I didn't have an HGTV yet, but it was cool. And, oh my God. <laughs> and I ha- I bought Halo three, um Assassin's Creed and um and Oblivion were the first three games that I bought. And I did not finish Assassin's Creed or Oblivion, but I sure liked Halo 3. <laughs> Are you joking? Oblivion was the one that we spent so much time on. That was the game for the 360 yeah. in our house. I started it and I was like, this is obtuse. I'm not, this is too much for me. I'm not into it. I can't remember the other games we got at launch because obviously we got it for that Christmas. And, and I remember opening it, like dad opening it on Christmas Day because it was like a present to himself, but we all fucking used it. And, um, one of them was Perfect Dark Zero, which obviously is oh, not a great that game. Sucks. Uh, but I remember looking at it and it was like, wow, what a step up in graphics versus what we were playing like the week prior on the original Xbox. Yeah, and it was just night and day. It was it was insane to see. Like no no one could believe um, how, how good it looked. Uh, but the games that were most played on that were probably by by like my mum. She would come home and she would play like Uno or uh, Bejeweled, Bejeweled or st- and stuff like that. <laughs> Yeah, loads of those casual games from the Xbox Live Arcade, like tons of them. I have so much nostalgia for that generation of consoles. I like oh, really the Xbox great. 360 was the center of my life for years. Like, and I remember like the whole hard drive thing. Like that was such a thing me and my friends did, where it would be like, oh yeah, we're all gonna go hang out at Pete's today. Like, oh, we're all gonna go to Jared's today. And it's like whatever game we're gonna play. Like whoever had the game and had unlocked everything would pop their xbox out come in plug it in people like, actually did that like i thought that was just we like did a it all thing. the time I, remember, I don't ever remember taking that hard drive out i took it with me so many places it was a very regular thing um especially when my buddy jared always did it because we played fighting games and he bought every fighting game and unlocked all the characters so it'd be like what what, what are we gonna get five copies of this fucking 60 dollars game between us when we're all broke like no Jared's got Tekken, that's fine. Like, that's, I don't need to buy it, right? Like, um, yeah, and like, that was such a, oh my god, Steve, I just remembered the third game I bought at Blockbuster! It was Dragon Ball Z Budokai! And I remember this because I remember playing it with Jared, like, years later. Oh my god, okay, alright. There we go, kids, we got there. Dragon Ball Z Budokai. Finally made it. It might have been Budokai 2. It was the one that had the story mode that was like a board game. And you played through the story of the, like, of Dragon Ball Z. It was good. It was a good game. I liked it. Okay. So, uh, oh, wait. Okay, this is my last, this is the scalping story. So, PlayStation 3. I've told you this before. If you don't know, I bought a PlayStation 3 at the very end of the PlayStation 3 life cycle. So, I have played almost none of the PlayStation 3 games that didn't get ported. I very much missed out on PS3, and I was very salty about it for most of that generation. Because growing up, I had been a Sony kid, right? I had a PlayStation Why were you salty about it? It was not a great console at launch. It came a year late. It was way overpriced. Years into it. There were so many games I wanted to play, though, right? Like, I really wanted to try Uncharted. I wanted to play Resistance. I wanted to play, you know... Um, okay, Resistance isn't great, but Uncharted, yeah, you absolutely would have missed that one. I'm trying to think of some of the other games that I was... Well, it doesn't matter. God of War, maybe? I guess. I was never a God of War guy. But I love PlayStation, right? So I was like, I, I Jack and... Uh, not Jack and Dax, Ratchet and Clank. There was, like, the whole PS3 trilogy and everything and i was like oh man i'm over here and looking over the fence and i got a psp Mm -hmm. but i don't have a ps3 and you know like i just i i i remember wanting one 
And I remember going to my cousin's house for Christmas, and I remember her husband being like, look, and he shows me, and they got a PS3, and he bought it, and he was reselling it. I was like, why would you show me this? Like, why would you? I thought you were about to be like, oh, like, let's play the PS3, and I was so excited. Or like, maybe he's going to give it to me. Like, no, and he's like, oh, I'm selling it. I was like, you son Here's of a the bitch. the $600 console. It's just for you, Pete. Well, you know, who knows? Like I said, I was the baby at this point. You know, the, like their their kid, I think, is maybe one years old when that happened. I was like, this kid's not playing a PlayStation 3, right? Like, come on. He might be. He might really be into Little Big Planet. He loves video games now, but at the time, he's, you know, he's pooping in his pants. He doesn't know what he's doing. Well, mm-hmm. whatever. But I remember that. I remember that to this day. I remember him coming and, like, pulling the, like, pulling a, and he's like, look, here's a PS3. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. You get it, like, can we play it? And he's like, oh, no, I'm selling it. And I was like, oh. Damn. You ever done that? You ever done the the whole selling it on scalping thing? No, I mean I've I've uh, I guess literally speaking I have, but I've never done it for profit. Like I've bought things, yeah. and gotten more than one of them, and then not needed it, and been like, okay, hey, like friend, would you like this? Or like I've done that thing. I've done that with like concert tickets and stuff like that, and been like, hey, like I'm just trying to break even. Like you want to go to the yeah, show? Like, I, I- I re- I remember buying that PS5 for my sister, and obviously she just gave me the cost of what it was, right? So I could I could get it for her. Which I've you know what I've been, scalping, I've been but I've been tempted before though. Like it is really tempting, but I don't know. My morals just won't let me do it because because like when I got that PS5, it was the first year it was out. I managed to to get hold of one. You know, you could have made like two hundred quid profit on that. Yeah. Just by reselling it, and um, to me that's same not, with not the worth it. same with the Steam Deck. Like you could double the the price, like, because I got I got one of the first batches of Steam decks, and uh, yeah, I could have I could have doubled the what I paid for it. Um, but yeah, it's not worth it because I want have the, the item. I'd rather have it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's that's me, right? Like, I'd I'd rather have the toy than the money. All right, let's jump into this next one. Uh, this one comes from Zadita, who wrote in and said. If, hey guys, it feels like it's been, well, he wrote in via email, I should say, questions at flipscreen.games, right in just like he did, and you can get your thoughts right on the air. He said, hey guys, I feel like it's been a while since we've done a question in this format, huh? So you two have been rather vocal at your disappointment from Sonic Frontiers, and rightfully so. The game doesn't look great from what we've seen. I'm someone who's a 3D Sonic person. I'm really sorry about that, buddy. So, of course, I'd like to see Frontiers succeed, but I'm getting that sinking feeling I had when Forces got unveiled, which was, this ain't it, Chief. Pete specifically has mentioned he wants more Sonic Mania, but I want to exercise your brains a little. Since Sonic Team clearly has no idea how to do a a 3D Sonic, what do you guys think it would take to make a 3D Sonic truly great? Or more more so, what's the concept that would lead to a great 3D Sonic game? Excited to hear what y'all come up with. The Flip Screen Games personal hype man, Zade. P.S. Steve, Judgment Streams are coming back soon, I promise. Yes, they, they are. I know. I've got your uh, DM. We'll arrange something. We'll get back onto Judgment over at twitch.tv slash games. But do you know what? I think the only way you can make a good 3D Sonic game is to take it away from the team that's been making 3D Sonic because it's just isn't... I can't think of a 3D Sonic game that's actually been good. As much as I liked Sonic Adventure back on the Dreamcast, It's it wasn't a good game. I just had a good time with it, you know. And I think you, you can, you need to be able to tell the the difference between what is a good game and what is a, a game that is not good but you like. And yeah. it's not a good game, but I had a good time with it and I liked it. Um, I I really think they just need to look over the fence and see what the fuck Nintendo does with with Mario. I just I don't get it. 
yes, Sonic's always been about speed in the 2D games. I don't necessarily think it always needs to be about that in the 3D games 100% of the time. Like, he should be able to have moments of speed and maybe he goes into, like, a 2D zone where it is all about speed and, like, bouncing around and, and doing his usual Sonic thing. But the rest of it should be about exploration and, and finding these cool-looking environments and they shouldn't look like real life. It should not be hyper-realistic. Here's a Sonic model in, like, an Unreal Engine 4 <laughs> Unreal grassy field. zone. Yeah. It, it shouldn't. Like, they need to look at something like Mario Odyssey, where every single world's unique and vibrant and beautiful, but it's within the style of Mario. Like, you don't go to New Donk City and think, oh, this looks 100% like New York in real life. It doesn't. And like the, one of my favorite levels on that is the, the cooking one, where you go to the land and everything's, like, beautiful and vibrant, or, like, the the um the sandy desert place like every single world and environment is so different and i think that's what sonic needs to look at doing they really just need to look at what nintendo does and just ape it yeah i mean i i think that's the easy answer right is like i think the best way to make a good sonic game would be to take it away from sonic team and let somebody else um i i think it's very similar to the conversation we had about like um, I think it was like two or three episodes ago about like designing our dream game, right? And I remember you were asking me the question of like, oh, like, do you feel that uh, Bioware is the studio to make the the dream game I was describing? If the folks that worked on the games that you are thinking about aren't there anymore, right? And I think it like it comes to this whole like culture thing, right? Where there's a there's now multiple generations of of people that grew up playing 3D Sonic games, liking 3D Sonic games, having nostalgia for them, right, that I'm sure would love to get a crack at making a good 3D Sonic game, right? I don't think that it's impossible to make a good 3D Sonic game, a good level clear 3D Sonic game, like whatever, right? Like however, whatever mechanic you want to ascribe to it, I think it's execution that's the problem. I think that Sonic Team has a winning formula of making kind of half-baked games that sell really well and don't cost that much to make because they get rushed and they don't take that long to make. And they make a profit. And as long as they're doing that, they don't really care because... And I mean, I know that they've had interviews where they've said that the focus moving forward is quality and critical reception and this and that. But that's all lip service because look at Sonic Origins and the rush job that happened on that. So much so that... Uh, I think it's Headspace, had to go to Twitter to talk about the fact that what they handed into Sega was not what was published, and they weren't happy with some of the bugs that were introduced and present in the game, and they should have been iron out in QA, but they weren't. Mm -hmm. That's the thing, right? It's like, it's a consistent problem. And I think I think the best thing for Sonic would be for the IP to end up in somebody else's hands, frankly. Um, and, you know, I I think that in terms of like what I'd like to see, I think honestly the best thing you could do would be to make a Sonic Adventure 3 and like call it Sonic Adventure 3 and try to like make something that's focused, right? And like it's like, hey, it's level clearing and like we just have to make like X number of good, competent, well-executed levels. You can focus on style and graphics and music and you know maybe you bring back the Chow Garden for some fan service and like you just mm -hmm. check the boxes that people want you to check in a way that is competent, right? And that like feels like it's of the quality of what somebody at 
you know, EAD would do with Mario or, or like any of the other 3D, like, you know, oh, what, even someone like Insomniac was doing with Ratchet and Clank. Took the words just, right out of my mouth, right? Yeah, it really needs there. to be that level of quality, yeah. Yeah, like they give a shit, right? They want it to be, oh, yeah, it's like a PS2 ethos game on PS5. Like, there's, there's a clear artistic they... vision and, like, yes. a real commitment to quality that you just have not seen at Son- with Sonic in. God, since what generations, right? Which is like arguably the only actually good 3D Sonic game, and it's a hybrid 3D 2D game, which is exactly what you described, right? Like, I think it's obvious yeah. what a good Sonic game looks like, but I don't. I just don't. The, the thing is, I don't think it is because I've never played a good 3D Sonic game, so I don't think they've ever got true. a grasp on what the winning formula is for that, and. And they've never really experimented. They just—I mean, maybe Sonic Frontiers is more of an experiment. I mean, that's the thing. they've experimented a lot. Different. It's just a lot of bad ideas. Like they had that era during the Wii where it was like every new Sonic game was a gimmick, right? It's like here's the one where he turns into a werewolf. Here's the one where he's a knight and he has a sword. Here's the one where it's just like they've done so much of just like what if uh, this happens? What if this happens? And it's like. So much of it is shit. What if he has sex with a human woman? Like, (laughs) what are you guys thinking over there? Like, truly, really and truly. These are the ideas. (laughs) There's also an argument to be made that maybe 3D, just like full 3D is not the way to go. Like something like um, uh, the latest Kirby game or Mario 3D World, where it's that isometric style, where it's still in 3D space, but you don't have full control of the camera and they can be more artistically controlled i i think maybe something like that would work better as well and maybe then you have like the full 3d overworld like you did in sonic adventure where you can go walk around and talk to people maybe there's some shops that you can go to to like get some bits and pieces if you wanted to make it more of that rpg style i don't know i think there's way there's things that can be done with it i just think it really needs a lot of time in in the oven and I just don't think they've ever given it that time. They want to constantly bang a Sonic game out, and they're never very good because of it, because they don't put the care and quality into it that's needed. The only one that has of recent memory is Sonic Mania, and that was a totally separate team that worked on it that had no input, really, from Sonic Team. And then when they get that team to to help out on Sonic Origins, they make a mess of it, and they put something out that's like missing filters and has stuff in there that's related to 3D games when they're all 2D games. It's it's honestly they created glitches in games that are decades old. (laughs) Like (laughs) it's not great, and and not the developers, but the you know, it's it's a it's a mess over there. And and I I think that's the bottom line, right? Is that like I, I don't think that Sonic is an IP that's treated with a lot of respect by Sega. And I think, you know, for all the things you can, um, you know, point to and criticize Nintendo about, right, with some of the choices they make with their IP, um, I think that's the thing that they've always done really well. Is well, like, they learned their lesson, didn't they? They let, like, Phillips butcher it and, yep. like, the terrible Mario movies and things. And then since then, they were just sort of very protective of their IP, and rightly so, I think. Yeah, and I, and I think that's the thing, right? Is like, when a new Mario game comes out, it's synonymous with quality. And I think when a new 3D, at least a new 3D Sonic comes out, right? Like, it's synonymous with, like, garbage and, like, being a cash grab that's aimed at kids, you know? And, like, being a franchise that is sold exclusively to kids who don't know any better 
and folks like Zade, right, who have nostalgia and love for the character and the IP and are willing to suffer through mediocre games to get a taste of it. And I think the fact that that's a winning formula speaks to how fucking cool Sonic is and how much people like Sonic and how much potential there is to do more with the IP and put out games that are actually of quality, right? When you look at what Nintendo has done with, you know, Mario, obviously, but, like, you brought up Kirby, like, you brought up, like, you know, or you bring up Metroid, right? And, like, what what they've done with that, like, they're, like, you could have a very, you could have a very, very, very healthy set of a 2D Sonic franchise and a 3D Sonic franchise, and you put out a Mania-style game every however many years, at like, and then on the off year, right, like, you're alternating between, here's a 2D Sonic, here's a 3D Sonic, like, I think that's, that's what Nintendo was doing. Could be very easy that's... and well executed, but they yeah. just don't seem to give a shit because they don't have to. I think that's what Nintendo was doing with Zelda for a good while, right? We had yeah. Breath of the Wild, yeah. then we had the um, the Link's Awakening remake. We're gonna probably have Breath of the Wild two, and then we'll probably go back to a two D game. And they were doing the same thing with like Twilight Princess and Links Between, Link Between Link Worlds Between was Worlds the big Zelda stuff. game before yeah. Breath of the Wild, you know. And it's like, yeah, yeah, it's like, and they're both, and like that's what they're trying to do with Metroid now, right? Where it's like, hey, like you guys loved Dread, cool. Prime Four is around the corner, right? Like it doesn't, it frankly doesn't make sense. That, that they're not able to get this right. And I think it's, it's you know, it's it's either a mismanagement issue, it's a resources issue, or it's just the, it's the same thing as the Pokemon treadmill, where it's like, well, it's, it's more cost-effective to make mediocre games that sell okay than to make great games that sell maybe a little bit better. You know? And it sucks, but I, I, I genuinely don't see what the answer is to this that doesn't come down to that. You know, the why of it, especially when you can see, right? Like, it's not like Sega is incapable of publishing good games, right? Like Atlas puts out bangers, right? And those games well, take forever to work Atlas. on. Like, look at the Yakuza series, for example. Yeah, and Judgment and stuff like that. Like, there's a They're lot great. of good stuff that Sega puts out, and and Sonic just really misses the mark and i don't know and, why and that's insane because that's their most valuable ip that's their flagship character right and it's like it just feels like they don't care about him they don't care about his name being synonymous with quality and like that's a bummer you know and i, I think you're right that like the whole like sonic being based about speed is limiting in some ways right where it's like that does present a challenge for like how do you make a good game that's about running insanely fast and momentum and not have it constantly be broken up by you sucking at the game. Um, but, you know, that's their problem to solve, not mine, right? Like, I'm just the player. Um, so I don't know. It's an interesting one. All right, let's jump into our talking point for the week. And the talking point this week is it's news. There's a lot of news. And it's big news, big stories. It's big stuff. We had a, it's a, it's a good one. It's a good week here, Steve. It is a good week, like starting off with the fact that E3 is back, as you said at the top of the show. Big, thought? big news. We weren't sure if this was, like, they, they made rumblings that E3 was coming back as a as a show, like in-person show, and as you said, it's coming back to the LA Convention Center next June, second week of June, so we don't know the actual dates yet, but it is, it's going to be there. And who knows if this coincides with Summer Game Fest, presumably That's... it's the same week. That's the question, Steve. It's very interesting, and I, I am very interested to talk to you about this. So we know 
E3, coming back, produced together with Reed Pop. If you're not familiar, they're the folks behind PAX. They're the folks behind Comic-Con. Uh, they're the folks behind Star Wars Celebration. So, you know, they got the chops. And outside of America, they do EGX in the UK. Um, I didn't so realize they did they, EGX. Yeah, they do, they do EGX in the UK. So they work with uh, Eurogamer to put that together. So there you go. So they do a bunch of stuff. They, they've got a lot of fingers in a lot of convention pies. So theoretically, they know how to put a live show on and they should be able to do a good job. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, I go, I have gone to New York Comic Con every year since 2009. I love New York Comic Con. Um, and they put that on. So um, no specific dates yet, but they said it would be the second week of June next year. They said it will feature both digital showcases and in-person consumer components. Uh, it is very interesting, right? Because both are going to be in-person events. Both are seemingly going to be within maybe a week or so of each other. I think we're in for something very interesting here because we've never had this, right? Like, even when there have been non-E3 events like EA Play or, like, Devolver's uh, presentation. They've been E3 adjacent, though, right. haven't they? Like, they've worked around the E3 schedule. It's never been competing with it. It's and, always just been, we don't want to pay the ESA, so we're going to be next to it, and we'll do it around the schedule. And the interesting question becomes here, do these two events happen at the same time? And go head to head and like try to like allow people to double dip and do both. Or are they within like a week or two of each other and people choose because they're like, I, I if you don't, don't live think in, they can be. If you don't live in California, right? Like you're not you're not going back to San Francisco twice in two weeks, right? Like that would be insane. Yeah, that's that's the issue. And I think you can't do that when these are so focused on industry. Because they've they've said uh, ESA they came want out this said to be a more industry, industry focused event again. Yeah, yeah. so uh, that's obviously very different from PAX and the other shows that EG uh, that like EGX and Star Wars um, Celebration is a very different uh, kind of feel to the show. But that's the same deal as Summer Game Fest as well, at least so far. Maybe Jeff has something more consumer focused up his sleeve for next year. Who knows? Maybe he pivots and does something like that now. But I kind of feel like they have to take place within the same week or at the very least the following week because I don't think it's fair to ask for journalists to fly out the the next week to come to LA again and stick around for yet another show. Yeah. Uh, it's spacing it out for no reason and it's either that or one of them's got to shift and maybe Jeff does his in August instead of or in July instead of June. I don't know though like I don't think Jeff's the one who flinches. No, no way. He's gonna he's gonna go toe to toe with. Them. I feel he's like been... he's going. I think he wants to take over, right? Like I think he his goal here is to be is to supplant E three. So I don't think he moves. I think he says, "Oh, you're gonna with a week within a week, okay?" And he'll work harder to get commitment from people to do his thing. Yeah, and he's got but the leverage. He, you know, right? he's, like he's had some people missing though. Like Nintendo wasn't there this year, and and is that because they've always been at E three and they've got some loyalty to that to that brand and to the maybe. ESA? Who knows? And I think maybe those those bigger ones could be there next year. Maybe, Same with but people it's like, like but, Square Enix. I think maybe they could be over there as well. Maybe, but it's also like Sony, right? Hasn't done. E3 and the ESA events in years, and they came and did Summer Game Fest. He got Xbox. Uh, they didn't really, though. But yeah. They did. What do you mean? It was like a week before, and it was like... 
but wasn't I, really with it. It wasn't even within the same week, and they just chucked the logo on it. They when used it, they the branding even though. Need to. Like yeah. that's the thing. It's like you're right. Like it was it was separate from that event to some degree, but like they were the ones who acknowledged we are part of Summer Game Fest. We are at Summer Game which, Fest, which which Microsoft didn't. It was Microsoft and and it was the Xbox Bethesda showcase, right. and they didn't have the Summer Game Fest logo anywhere near it. But they just allowed Jeff to, to me, like broadcast it. I feel like they're playing both sides. Xbox and they're waiting to see who wins. Yeah, but he did last year. Do you remember? Like it was they were arguing over whose show it was, like Summer Game Fest and E three, and it was like both of theirs at some point. It yeah. was it was so strange. And I don't think Microsoft cares. They just want people no. what like eyes on. I mean, because that's I the thing, it doesn't make a difference. Both. They put on that event by themselves, right? So it's like if if it's Summer Games Fest, if it's E three, who gives a shit, right? Like it's a it's this is our chance to show our big cool commercial. Got it. Like that's what they care about, right? Um, and I think probably everybody feels that way. And like, I think if Jeff is like charging less or, you know, has uh, enough of the big dogs, if he goes to the squares and the, oh, well, you know, Sony's already signed up with us, you know, it's like, okay, well, I, I think it's, I think it's going to play out that way. I think it's going to play out where some folks go with E3, some folks go with Summer Game Fest and we'll see what happens. But I can't imagine, like, I can't imagine these companies doing both. Right. And being like, yeah, let's do two presentations in the span of two weeks or we'll show the same shit at both of them. Right. Like, it's just like somebody's got to win out. And you did see that some a little bit here, though, like this time. Right. We had some stuff announced at um, Summer Game Fest and then we saw it in the Nintendo presentation like a few weeks later. Yeah, and we had some, that's always we had been some crossover thing, like that. You know, like if you think but, about like like Square would do that where it would be like, oh, Square has a presentation, but they also showed something at Sony's thing or like. You know, Capcom and Capcom did it as well because Capcom announced, yeah, they announced Resident Evil 4 at the Sony one, but then they did their own presentation. But then they also had the Monster Hunter presentation it. at Nintendo's thing, and yeah, and it's yeah. like so that's maybe they kind do. of maybe, So maybe they maybe they do split their announcements and they're just like, right, Jeff, you can have this, and then we're going to do this at E3, and they kind of separate it, so they're kind of getting eyes on at both. So I also think E3 is still has some brand power and brand awareness. Absolutely. Within That's the thing who, it has. Yeah, like people people who aren't like us, right? That know games and play games. They know E3. They've been tuning into E3 probably for the last decade or more and they probably to find out what, new, what hot new games are. And they, yeah, they probably have no idea who Jeff Keighley is and what Summer Game Fest is, but they know that they want to see the hot new games and E3 is where that happens every June. So I think that E3 has a good chance of of getting people back because I still think they've they've only been gone a year and I think they could have some big announcements next year, but we're just going to wait and see who, who announces to be there. Um, it's going to be very interesting, I think, to see the split and the divide as to who pledges allegiance where. Let me ask you this right now. Clear the mechanism. No no, no bet, right? Like, we're, But I just want to... Who do you think is going to win between the two? If one has to go away, which one do you think survives? If one has to go away, I think... Um, I think it's summer game fest survives but i think e3 will live on as like a pax style thing i i think this is a fascinating crossroads because i do not think summer game fest is established enough to to your point right i don't think it has the brand recognition that e3 has i don't think it's no, as we spoke established about it last or, week right it was like why don't you just make it the game awards in summer something right like yeah or Game Awards present Summer Game Fest or something like that, yeah. right? But, like, 
I think if E3 can come back this year and kick ass, they could probably take the crown back and, and make Summer Game Fest irrelevant. But I don't think that they have a lot of opportunities left for that, right? Like, I think if this year is, like, not it, or if it ends up getting canceled or pushed back again or, or whatever, right? Like, oh, if, it, if it gets canceled for, like, COVID again or something, then they, they're toast. There's, I don't think they can come back again after that. I don't know, because it's like we talked about it, right? The Reed, Reed Pop is, an, is a really, 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 really well-run company. They put on good events. The idea that they could salvage E3 is not insane to me. And the, the name has value. I think E3 could definitely still survive and thrive. But it's like one of them has to get out of the other's way. And it's either going to be that Jeff doesn't get it together fast enough and loses the race and E3 is able to take back you know, it's it's spot in the sun or E3 is going to have to get out of the way and evolve and become something else, you know? Um, That's what I think could happen. E3 evolves and becomes something else. Like, they do the, the Comic-Con style thing. We have panels and we do, like, it's more of a, uh, of a, a fan fest for people. Or they go and, the and opposite direction and they really try to make it an industry event again and don't make it as about, like, fans coming and, and trailers and all the, and have it be an event that's about game developers coming together and rubbing elbows because that's what it was used to be you know yeah i kind of feel like um uh what's the 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 game the game uh, gdc kind of feel like gdc kind of ate their lunch in that regard where you know game devs go and rub shoulders there and talk about what games they're working on and present and, and pitch and it very much that is a hundred percent an industry event you know that's where yeah. sony elected to go and talk about the architecture of their, of their new console it was a gdc it wasn't at e3 or anything like that because they wanted to pitch it to developers and we had like that weird like uh video version where um uh, where they came out and and did like the strange presentation about about um it was like an ASMR video talking <laughs> in his subtle tones right yeah Mark Cerny uh, with the power of the PS5 we have uh, yeah we have the ability to edit over uh, six quintillion pixels at the same time you can see here uh, I'm bouncing a ball in beautiful 4K 120 FPS don't forget the 3D sound. I don't think that's actually what Mark Cerny sounds like, but that's my voice for him. You know, like in my brain, he just uh, with the power. He always five. speaks and sounds like he's smiling whenever he's yes, talking. I'm, I'm here very excited to talk to you about my latest console, the PlayStation 5, and how this uh, just empowers the, the uh, <laughs> artistic uh, direction behind Knack 3. <laughs> oh, my God. We're gonna get a knack three. Can something. you believe they made a knack two? That's my thing. <laughs> They're like, that's, all right, Cerny. Honestly, that's written into the deal with Mark Cerny. Like, Mark, please do our architecture for our new console. Okay, yes, if you agree to publish you another to one of my like my games. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So that's that's the that's the long and short of it for today. We had a couple other pieces of news on the list. Uh, I want to get through two of them really quickly, um, and we'll we'll wrap it up for the day. Number one is that God of War Ragnarok has gotten a release date. It is coming this year on November 9th. Despite all the rumors, all the speculation, everything. It's coming, and I think we had come around on thinking that was what was going to happen after being very, like, 
it's getting yeah, delayed, it was, right? Like the, the Korean ratings board kind of uh, blew then, the lid on it, I think, for us. And then we, Corey Barlog, like out. right after that, was like, "It's like, all yeah. right, okay, this seems like it's coming." But yeah, and I think November December was about the time period that we thought it was gonna gonna happen and hit. Uh, I'm I'm glad to see that it is it is coming out. You know, that's not to say this doesn't get delayed because we have seen so many shift games at the last minute before. But I think this one's probably a a cert if they put in a, a solid release date on it like that. I'm inclined to um, agree. It feels like they're pretty confident that they're going to hit this. Yeah. So I think we're due now a state of play for a deep dive into God of War Ragnarok at some yeah. point. It's just when that's going to hit. I could probably see that coming in uh, in August. So we get they hype up a little bit and get people excited. Um, I'm not a massive fan of the special editions of this console though, because none of them come with a physical version of the game, which I still which I find utterly strange and it's baffling. So funny. But I, I saw- guess that's. It's becoming the standard, unfortunately. Well, I think it's, it has to do with the fact that Sony sells a console that doesn't have a disc drive. So do they want to then make two versions of the special edition, one with a physical disc and one without? It just makes it very difficult and tricky for them. Uh, whereas, uh, you know, I guess Microsoft also has that issue with the Series S, but the special editions seem to always just come with the, the disc. But I don't know. Yeah, it's a shame that you can't just kind of like, toggle we'd be like oh i have the digital edition i don't need the disc and then just send you the box or not you know like i don't know it makes yeah. sense i'm sure they don't or want send, to or send the box with a code inside right right but you know i i that aside um this is exciting right like obviously i'm a fan of the original god of war the original 2018 is what i mean to say and um i've been looking forward to ragnarok you know since since completing god of war but I think just in general, like, I'm excited for there to be another heavy hitter this year. You know, like, we talked, we, we did that episode about, oh like... Oh, my God, sir. this back half of the year, though, has become full of heavy hitters. Yeah. And, like, I'm amazed that Ubisoft's Skull and Bones still exists, and it's also coming out this year. Like, that was just a well, real turnout for the books as well. They have that... Did you see the thing? They have a deal with, like... They have a contract with Singapore that the they Singapore have Singapore government, they, like, they have to put it out, year. yeah. Like, oh, okay, that's not great. Like, but okay. How long has this game been in development? Didn't you announce this in like 2013 or something? Like, yeah. It's nuts. I feel like this game's been in development for like legit about a decade. And it's like, oh. It's five years since they first announced it, apparently. Feels so much longer than that. That's crazy. Yeah, 2017. It was the, it was like the, yeah, I could have sworn. That's five years ago now. I could have sworn they announced it earlier than that. That feels so long ago. I guess a lot has happened in the last five years, but um, yeah. I mean, I'm 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 stoked. I'm stoked to see this to make it across the finish line. I'm excited that we'll have at least one more real game of the year contender by the end of the year. Here, it's gonna be interesting to see if it can live up to the hype because I think this game has a real chance of running into the, I think the same reaction that Forbidden West got, where it's like, oh yeah, cool, it's more Horizon and it's better. And that's it, right? And, like, I, I'm i very excited about that. I think that there will be a lot of God of War fans that will be very excited about that. But is that going to be enough for the industry at large to dethrone Game... Uh, I almost just said Game of Thrones. <laughs> to dethrone Elden Ring. Uh, and, and what a splash that made it will be this enough. year. I don't think it's enough to dethrone Elden Ring, unfortunately. But I don't, I'm you never very played the original, excited that this is... Right? 
No, I know, but I it's don't... It's a really good uh, game. You know, knowing who uh, votes for Game of the, the Game Awards and knowing what scores they gave Elden Ring and how highly they revered that game, I don't know that anything overtakes that for Game of the Year this year. So... I'm I'm I think I'm generally inclined to agree with you, especially when you consider like that God of War has the uphill battle of not being the fresh thing. But I also think that like God of War was a game that consistently got tens. It was definitely like in that echelon. And I think the thing that it has over Elden Ring is that uh, you know, and again, hot take incoming, right? No offense. Elden Ring's story is garbage and incomprehensible. And God of War has like a very like straightforward like the narrative is a huge part of the game it's very at least the first one was very emotional and very intimate and there was things with like the direction and the continuous camera and all that stuff that was like wow like this has a level of emotional maturity and depth that I was not expecting that you do not often get in video games and you know that one the last of us part two game of the year so I, I don't know I don't know if God of War 2 can deliver on that same level, but if it can, I think it's actually probably one of the only games that could actually compete with Elden Ring. I don't know that it will, mm-hmm. but because it it succeeds in ways that Elden Ring specifically does not succeed, and vice versa. I would yeah, imagine. they're very different games, right? And obviously, it's more of a linear title than Elden Ring, which kind of does a unique spin on their open world. Yeah, like open world style game, but comparing them is going to be hard, and I think it's going to come down yeah. to more like. You know, because God of War will have a recency bias, and I think if it hits on an emotional level, that's going to strike a chord with people in a way where they're going to be like, yeah, Elden Ring's amazing, but God of War. And, like, I don't know that that'll be enough people, because Elden Ring was, like, the second coming of Jesus for a lot of people, so it's like, who's to say? But I think God of War is one of the few titles that can actually potentially come in and be a disruptor. So we'll see. It might split the vote in an interesting way. Yeah, and, and the, in 2018, it did win. Um, it did win Game of the Year, the it original did. or the first one in the the reboot. So, and it was a know, tough year, right? It was up against Red Dead Redemption Two that year, wasn't it? It was up against Red Dead Redemption Two that year. Yeah, they Which both got four uh, four awards. Um, yeah, so big year, and Celeste as well was that. And, that I, year? and I think that's a similar thing, actually, when you think about it. Why God of War won? I think God of War has its it appeals brought more broadly than Red Dead Redemption 2. And I think that applies to Elden Ring. Because to your point, the type of people that vote, a lot of them really fuck with Elden Ring and are like, 10 out of 10 is the best game ever made. But there's a lot of people that vote on this shit that are like, Elden Ring's not for me. I don't like Souls games. And they might be the folks that are like ready to champion God of War. Interesting. Yeah, It's we'll very to, interesting. We'll I, I think I'm probably going to check out God of War before this comes out please um, do it i'm thinking i'm probably gonna subscribe to the the uh, playstation plus we gotta do a review whatever that middle tier is called people want us to the, review it we should do the that. silver ones the silver tier yeah. i'm gonna subscribe to that because strays out this month as well that's true um and i want to check that out so let's let's both but commit to doing that, this play month. that on... let's commit yeah, to doing we should. that this month. and then maybe next month we'll do a review after we've had it for like 30 days or whatever yeah, it would be good to check it out and see what we think. I'm not going to subscribe to the the top tier with the Me retro either. games. I just it's not just, worth it. it. It really does not seem worth it, especially considering how deck. bad some of the emulation is. Considering I have and Steam yeah, deck. and I've got a Steam Deck, so like that's where I'm playing those games. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> I don't need it. I don't need it. 
All right, last thing we're going to talk about today, and we'll, we'll keep this one quick because this one's really just for me. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxies, yes. uh, Mary DeMarley, I believe is her name, or DeMarle, perhaps. Uh, she was a developer at Eidos Montreal for many years. Uh, she's best known for her work on the Deus Ex series. Um, she, like the the newer, like the modern Deus Ex uh duology because i don't think they got to do the third one um i believe she was the narrative director on both of them uh and then she also created the story and led the narrative team on guardians of the galaxy which uh obviously came out last year was one of my favorite games of the year uh it won the um game award for best narrative last year uh so obviously this is this is a a a a developer, a person who she knows narrative, right? Like that's her fucking thing. And she has joined the team at Bioware and that was announced earlier this week. And then a few days after she joined the team, uh, Michael Gamble, who is the project director of Mass Effect 4, announced, uh, and he said on Twitter, oh, hey, I'm really excited to let you know that Mary DeMarle will be joining the Mass Effect team as senior narrative director. You've seen her work in Guardians of the Galaxy and Deus Ex, to name a few. She's amazing. All I have to say about this, I'm through the roof excited about this news. Mary is somebody who obviously has chops. She has pedigree that is exceptional in this industry. And she just put out a game that I had narrative that I thought fucking slapped. That was a game that was totally focused around a team of characters and having relationships between those characters and making choices and the the little dialogue between them and everything. When you're out on missions, I'm like... She is a perfect, perfect match for Bioware. She's a perfect match for Mass Effect. And to answer your question from the designing our dream studio or our dream game thing, Steve, this is exactly what I'm talking about, right? This is a person who is not, does not have the legacy at Bioware, but is somebody who I am very excited to be there for the next chapter of what hopefully Bioware will be moving forward right and like being able to recapture some of that former glory and like i'm sure that mary loves mass effect right being the type of person and gamer and writer that she is and everything like i'm sure it's a a franchise that she's connected to um or at least that she's excited to play in so this is great news this is only good news for bioware fans um i just have so much hope that they're moving in the right direction and they're going to start making the kind of games that I've been obsessively replaying (laughs) lately and and remembering like damn yeah this is not just nostalgia like nobody makes games like this and nobody has made games better than this in this genre in my opinion yeah so I'm so excited about this news it's just awesome I'm I'm sure that's the case but then you know EA go and put out the the worst garbage tweet of the century uh, did you hear the the story behind that I didn't hear the story about it, so the sto- the, it, check it out on Kotaku because they've got the full story on it. But the story was that it was like a plan from their marketing company that they were going to put it out, and then they were going to get all of the other studios to dunk on the tweet. And they and then all of those social media managers were like, no, we're not going to do that. That's a terrible idea. But they put the tweet out anyway. So that is correct. There's two pieces of information that you're missing that make it worse. <laughs> so all of the social media teams for like individual studios at EA are run by internal people, right? So, like, 
the team at Bioware has somebody that runs their social media. The person who runs the social media for uh, EA proper is outsourced, and it has been outsourced yeah. to a company that does not work on in-game properties and are not very familiar with video games. The thing you said about having all the studios reply to make jokes, that only that idea only came after they had already put the tweet out and gotten an insane amount of backlash. And they were like, oh, let's do damage control. We can do this, and this will be a way to like poke fun at it and highlight all of these single-player games that were we're making and take this failure and turn it into like a, a marketing win, you know? And all of the studios were like, no, we're not going to do that because it's a, a bad idea. And B it feeds into the big, bad EA narrative that they've been trying to move away from that. Even their own studios don't like them. And you know, they're like, they're, they're, they're at odds with their own IP. And it's like all the studio, the social people were like, no, I'm not doing this. We're backing out. We're not doing this. So then they just quote tweeted themselves and we're just like, Oh yeah. Well, like made fun of themselves. And we're like, Oh, we'll take the L on this one or whatever. And it was just like, what a fucking shit show. What an absolute yeah. unforced error. And like, especially when you think about the fact that, what was it, like back in 2010, the CEO of, I think it was the CEO, president of EA at the time, was had that famous quote of being like, single player games are dead, and they killed all these games off that were single player titles, and they ruined fucking games. Like, they closed Visceral. They closed Visceral, like fucking they you know like dragon age 4 right has been scrapped twice and it was a mmo always online anthem style game at one point and like all this shit and it's like this is not the joke for you to be making like this is so like such an unforced error such a like wow you just stepped on a rake for absolutely no reason like slam dunk good job everybody you know it's like wow woof so for what it's worth, um, you know, do I have a lot of success on social media? No. But EA, like, you need somebody to run the account, I'll do it. You know, just throw me the login. DM me. Seriously, like, just let someone from one of their own fucking studios run it, at least. You know, it's also just like, I don't know. Do you know how easy it is to, like, hire someone to be a social media manager? It's just like, if it's like, oh, hey, we plays video media. games? Wouldn't be difficult, would it? Right? Like, I'll do that. Like, I'll take a $20,000 a year pay cut to tweet about EA games. Are you fucking yeah. kidding me? Like, <laughs> and, and having, so, ha, having been someone who's worked for marketing agencies, I can 100% say that it was just like, they, they've got a spreadsheet with all the, like, current memes that are going around and, like, what we could we do in order to tie into all of uh -huh. these, like, meme tweets. And then they've, they've gone, oh, this one sounds good. Let's tweet this out. Just, I'm surprised they didn't have to get approval from someone at EA though to tweet these shitty tweets because right? that's usually that's the usually case. That's usually how it works. It has to be signed off by someone. <laughs> like you would think anybody who worked at EA would be like, no, 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 no. That's this. This ain't it. This ain't it. Wait, and to leave it up as well, like you just take it down. Like, isn't their most anticipated game right now a single player game? Aren't most of their most anticipated games right now a yeah. single player game? Right? Like, yeah, they're like, multiplayer. Yes, they have a lot of success with, with uh, Apex, but. Aside from know, that, though, all their other multiplayer franchises are in the toilet. Coming out. Yeah. 
right? Like, although you know, it seems like uh, Battlefield is is having a bit of a comeback. It had double the concurrent players of of Halo this last week, okay. so maybe they're pulling it back there. But All right. that's good. But yeah, I, uh, it seems like the single player stuff, like the Star Wars games, the the Dead Spaces, things like that. People are excited for. They're looking forward to a new Need for Speed coming out. It's a freaking- Skate Four. There's a slew of articles every time anyone from Bioware opens their mouth, right? They're like, oh, Mark D- Mark Duras said a sentence a few weeks ago. It's news, baby. Like, <laughs> well, he's not there anymore, but you know what I mean. Um, you know, it's like, uh, I don't know. It's, it's obviously tone deaf, right? We don't need to dunk on it any more than the internet already has, but it's just like, wow, okay. Missing the mark on that one. But, uh, you know, I think... But that said, I'm still pretty excited about the future of EA Studios right now. So I'm, this is good news for me, for your number one Bioware fan, Pete and Bessie. Uh, all right, so we're going to wrap it up there today. Good work today, Steve. This is a good episode. I like this one. It was, yeah. Yeah, it was really good. Meaty. A lot of meat on the bone, you know? Okay. Good stuff. Good work, everybody. All right. So if you want to get some stuff from us, you remember to head over to flipscreen.games. You can write into the show just like everybody did. Uh, we did have a couple of questions we didn't get to this week. We're going to save them for next week. Thank you for writing. And of course, um, and there's a bunch of ways you can do that. Questions at flipscreen.games. Come join the discord. Uh, we've got a thread up every week where we get questions, you know, and it's just a fun place to hang out. It's a safe and inclusive community of gamers just like you. And, uh, you know, it's like the best place to keep the conversation rolling with us for sure. Every week, you know, we have a discussion about the episode in the thread and everybody gets in there. And, you know, a lot of the, like the, uh, you know, uh, ice appetizer, uh, from this week came right from the discord. Right. So, um, come be a part of it. Come hang out. Come join the community. However you choose to get involved. We're happy to have you here. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, come hang out at a Twitch stream or, you know, grab us wherever you can. Um, we're happy to have you happy for your support. Thank you so much. So for the team, I've been Pete. He's been Steve. We've been the Flip Screen Games Podcast. We'll see you next week. And now it's the outro of the show. I still haven't added the music here, so I'm gonna sing. And now Steve sings. Da, 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 da. Now Steve sings. It's about seven seconds. That's only seven seconds. Okay, there's a couple more seconds. We're just gonna... Yeah. Well, you, do, you do a song now, Steve. Well, we can just say goodbye now. Goodbye. Okay. Bye, Wait, everyone. One more, one more second. Click these things. Click, Click the buttons. Things. Click the buttons. Subscribe, subscribe. Okay. All right, we'll see you next week. Bye.